This is the Snug Podcast. In this episode, recording COVID-19 vaccination data in Scotland. We've got two ways of capturing the data, GPIDs, one of them, and the other is the vaccine management tool. At the beginning of October, we didn't have a vaccine management tool. We've now got one. No expiry dates that will hamper the data transfer if that expiry date is put in. Hello there, welcome to January's podcast from the Scottish National Users Group. I'm Andrew McElhinney, a GP in NHS Forth Valley. Now, so far, January has seen a horrible number of people infected with COVID-19 right across the world. But sadly, the figures in Scotland and the rest of the UK have been especially high and hospitalisations and deaths have rapidly increased as well. Fortunately, on the 30th of December, this happened. The Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine has been authorised for use by the regulator. They've been looking very carefully at all of the information that's come out of the trials and they've approved it for use, which means that we can accelerate the vaccine rollout, which is much needed. And the NHS has done a fantastic job over December in making sure that the So, the enormous task of mass vaccination against COVID-19 has begun. First of all, using the Pfizer and AstraZeneca vaccines. Hopefully you're seeing evidence of this vital programme happening in your own area. And if you work in a general practice, I hope you will already have received a vaccine by now. But how is the information about who has been given all these vaccines to be recorded? As you'll hear, it's absolutely vital to record this information properly and also to understand the ways that the information will flow between different systems so that everyone has a true picture of how the vaccine programme is progressing. Today, we're going to have two conversations about how to record data using one of two options, the vaccine management tool from Turas or using the GPIT system. Later on, there's a chat with Dr Ian Thompson, who's a GP in East Lothian and is the primary care clinical lead in digital health and care at the Scottish Government. First of all, I spoke to Janet Binney, who's an e-health facilitator in NHS Forth Valley and a member of the Change Advisory Board. And she has recently been involved in helping design and roll out the EMIS PCS templates for data collection of vaccination data for COVID-19. I've been a facilitator in Forth Valley since 2009. I was trying to remember how many presidential inaugurations that was. It's at least three, I think. Um, And you're also a member of the Change Advisory Board. So remind us what that does again. The Change Advisory Board is the board that looks after any requests for change that come in for any of the clinical systems to be run past the clinicians on the group, the facilitators, practice managers. to to get their input on change requests. For the systems, and that's going to be an ongoing vital need Mm. with the new systems. And you are also, I know, an expert in EMIS template design. Well, I I, I claim to be expert in nothing. (laughs) Well, I I can say I I know you are. I've just used it a long time, Andrew. (laughs) So so that brings us on to the COVID-19 vaccination programme. And I just wanted to think about the issues involved in 
recording information about who's received a vaccine because that's so vital at the moment. So we know this is going to be delivered in various settings, primary care hubs, general practices, maybe some larger super centres. So an information system needs to be able to straddle all these boundaries. So does this cause any potential problems? Well, of course. <laughs> so yeah. currently there are two methods that we can use to input the information uh, on vaccination. The preferred method is obviously the TURAS vaccination management tool. However, that is not mandated for use in GP and uh, GPIT systems, both EMIS and Vision, have templates and guidelines available for GPs to use to input that information directly into their clinical systems, which will then feed back into what we call the National Central Data Store to be available to both the TURAS vaccination app and then to bring information put in from TURAS back into GP practice data so they're both up to date. Yeah, because there's going to be this what they call bi-directional data flow between the practice system and the vaccination management tool using Albasoft. Yes, a tool written by Albasoft to extract the data from GP system and put it back into National Central Data Store and vice versa, a tool that practices can run, which will take information from National Central Data Store relating to their practices, patients, and put it back into the clinical IT system, the GP system. So it's important, I suppose, for people to understand they don't have to put in the data twice one place or the other. One then, place or the other. And the mm. systems all speak to each other. When is the Albasoft link going to kind of go live, do you think? Um, well, we're hoping very soon. We're on the, the final stages of pilot uh, with it this week. So um, I, I don't have an exact date, but hopefully very soon. Yeah, because um, I guess we know, we both know from experience that whenever systems try and exchange information, it needs to be structured in the right way, it needs to be clean, and it needs to be easily transferable. So what information do we need to record into EMIS? So there is an EMIS template that has been created by EMIS to facilitate the recording of this information. It's available to all practices who have EMIS. It is in their systems currently. They need to do um, a very small piece of work uh, relating to some clinical codes to action the qualifiers or to enable the qualifiers on the two uh, read codes for the, the vaccination given to allow the vaccination site to be um, able to be used properly on the template. There has been guidance um, sent around all the practices on how to do this. So once that piece of work has been completed by the practice manager and it only needs to be done once for the codes. It doesn't need to be done again and again, only once. Then practices can go into a template designer, into repository folder and in the respiratory folder within there, they'll find the COVID-19 vaccination template, which they can then right click on and overwrite live and that will bring it down and make it usable for all the staff in the practice. Once the template is down, it is advised that the practice managers would go in and add batch number, product, either AZ for AstraZeneca or PF for Pfizer, and 
the immunisation method, IM or SC, intramuscular or subcutaneous. And those should be separated by forward slash. Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised that you needed to include the um, method, you know, whether it was subcutaneous or intramuscular, but I'm presuming that's part of some UK-wide requirement because that, that seems like something we don't do for flu jabs, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that's not required on there is under absolutely no terms should we put the expiry date in, but it will hamper the data transfer if that expiry date is put in. So it has to justifically be the batch number, for example, AB treble zero, triple zero one slash AZ slash IM. Nothing else goes in that batch text. So people have to be clear not to include the expiry date. Yes, no expiry dates. There is an, a new template imminent from Emus this week, um, which will include the read code 68N5, I believe, for consent to vaccinate. So um, that's been made available to practices this week as an updated template. However, you would need to copy that down again into your live folder, which would overwrite any changes that you'd made to any existing template. You just need to make sure that you're then, if you're having to re-enter the batch information, you, you do it in that batch method that's been um, stipulated already. So how would we distinguish between patients who'd been immunised in the practice and those who'd been done elsewhere? So as as we're all painfully aware, there are only um, two clinical codes for the immunisations. There's no given by other healthcare provider for, this, for these uh, codes. So in the EMIS template, it is automatically ticked to include the GMS flag. It has been written into the specifications of the data transfer that comes in from other systems. If the patient has been immunised elsewhere, it will not have that GMS flag. So in searches and reports that we can do, we can list people with the GMS flag and search for people without the GMS flag to identify those that have been given elsewhere. So we can't really say it's better to record the information in EMIS or in TURAS. You can do it either way and it will be up to the practices and the health boards to decide the best way to do that. Um, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I just wonder if the Scottish government's idea is that all clinicians will be using the TURAS app more or less as they jab. But certainly in our practice, that's not the way people would normally work. You know, you get chatting to patients and jabbing them and you don't then want to be going into data entry mode and logging in to a system and putting in all the details. That's usually an admin task. So I, I guess we'll all be trying to work out the best way to use mm -hmm. the systems. But certainly in, as far as we're concerned, I think we'd be using the, the templates. It's it, the vaccination management tool was designed as a point of entry into the system live. Do it as you're actually vaccinating them. But as you say, in general practice, we tend not to do it that way. Well, it's all changing almost week by week at the moment as we try and rush this out and get it made available to people. So, Janet, thanks a million. I hope your head isn't exploding with it all. Not too badly. <laughs> just, just get in there. <laughs> Keep, keep going and we'll get there in the end. Yes. I'm a, a frontline GP two days a week in a small rural practice in East Lothian, um, where actually 
often I'm working as the sole GP in the practice because we're quite a small practice with a sort of 1.4 whole town equivalent GPs. So that keeps me busy some of the time. And then once a month, I've got a, a regular shift helping with the local out of hours service. So I have a, probably what you would call a true portfolio career, because in addition to that, I'm a clinical lead at Scottish Government Digital Health and Care Directorate. And I also try and squeeze in or used to try and squeeze in a day of juggling family care as well for three relatively young primary school aged children. Wow. So do you have time for anything else at all? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's impressive. Um, and you, you do a lot of good work, I know. H how much time have you had to spend recently thinking about COVID-19 vaccination? So on a, a practice level, I've got a very good supportive practice team. Um, we're quite close-knit team and we've managed to do um, a, a fairly quick campaign we we got 100 doses of vaccine delivered recently and managed to put that into 120 people's arms. So we've done quite well on that front uh, by just getting a little bit more than the allocated 10 doses out of each vial, um, which just goes to show the way that in, a, in small practices and, and in, indeed in any general practice setting, we can all be innovative and, and make sure that we get the best for our patients. At a national level, that's actually been a significant focus of my work since just before Christmas um, in terms of making sure that we're getting the safe flow of data around the system to ensure that we can report on how many people have had vaccines and make sure that GPs are able to record it in a way that's relatively easy for them to do. And in a general sense, do you get the feeling that the programme is starting to go well? I think it's certainly picking up pace. There seem to be um, some very good work being done on mass vaccination centres across the country, obviously using the work developed by Greater Glasgow and Clyde and NES Digital Directorate in terms of the vaccine management tool, um, which sits on the Turas platform. And obviously that's allowing us to deliver health and care vaccinations in settings that wouldn't normally be able to support NHS IT. And I think that's, a, that's a, a key change from the way we would, would traditionally have done stuff where we would rely on being within the private NHS network to be able to record this stuff. Um, so that, that's a big change. And it, it, it's, it's a good change to be able to, to enable this sort of program. I think, you know, we're certainly seeing at a local level, I work in NHS loading, we're seeing very good efforts by lo practices locally from the, the LMC meeting we had last night where lots of practices turned up and we could see that people were doing very well at getting the vaccine once they got their supplies out into people's arms and, and delivered. So um, one practice had even sent their practice team out to walk through the snow, which was about 10 centimetres deep, to the local care home to deliver vaccines because other routes were not possible. Wow, that's impressive. And now I know you've been working particularly with a colleague, Dr. Karen Lefebvre, to, to try and clarify and, and sort of move forward the process of data entry for vaccination through the vaccine man management tool and also through GP systems. Now, I already spoke to your colleague, Janet Binney, and she's given us quite a bit of detail about what EMIS users need to know. Is there anything you'd like to say maybe to the Vision users? Um, I think basically I, I'd probably want to reiterate the advice that Karen has been given to both of us and, and colleagues, 
which is around making sure that when we're recording it in our clinical systems, that because we've envisioned there are separate fields for the brand of vaccine and the batch number and the route of admin, but it's, it's a little bit easier in the vision system than it is in EMIS where there's just one field for everything. So we've got to be very careful in the EMIS system to get that in in the right order. But the, the key thing for um, people using the vision system is don't put anything other than the batch number in the box marked batch number. Um, from what I understand of the work that we've been doing to try and move data from GP systems into the national record systems, we're seeing people put obviously things like the expiry date, which isn't helpful to put there. In fact, the vaccine specialist from Scottish government has made it quite clear we don't need to record that. And that's why ex recording the expiry date isn't captured in the vaccine management tool. And I think that's because we can nationally map between a batch number and its expiry date. We know from the batches that are coming in at a national procurement level, which batch has what expiry date. So you know, there the ceases to be a need for each individual clinician to record that every time. Um, I think the other thing that we've seen is people have been putting in a whole load of normal consultation notes in against the vaccine code. And it's like, no, just stick to that. If you want to put a normal consultation in, put it in under a different code. That's absolutely fine. You could put all sorts of extra information in about, about what's been going on, but try and restrict what you're putting in on the vaccine code to just the vaccine data. Yes, and it's really important that people in practices do this well uh, so that the data is transferred properly to the VMT, isn't yeah. it? It's, so the data, to just sort of think about some of the data flows here, we've got two ways of capturing the data. One is obviously the two different GPIT systems, so GPIT is one of them, and the other is the vaccine management tool. And then things are flowing from there into something that's only recently been established which is a national clinical data store. Now, this is specifically for vaccines. And in the fullness of time, this will become a, a key component of our national digital platform. And so we may be visualizing something that Professor Sir Lewis Ritchie has always wanted to, us to have in Scotland for a great many decades, which is a single vaccination source of information for any individual in Scotland that covers all vaccinations. But I'm talking about the potential for this to be the single source of truth in the future. And at the moment, really all that's going in there is the, the COVID vaccination. But it does allow us to provide Public Health Scotland colleagues with the ability to report on how many vaccines have been given in each health board and, and each area, which is obviously an area of quite significant political and press interest at the moment. Indeed. Now, I know in some areas in the country, um, GP practice users are actually using TURAS to enter data and not their own systems. One thing I wanted to ask you was, do you have to be a clinician to enter vaccination data onto the VMT? So um, I think the way I would look at this is look at the roles that the people who've developed the um, VMT tool have created. And they've created two roles. One is a vaccinator. And this is somebody who can perform both the action of registering a patient and finalizing the vaccination record. And they've created a role of a registrant. So basically somebody who can add people onto a, a, a clinic list or add people onto a list of people who will be vaccinated. Um, I'm being quite careful in describing those two roles separately because I think it's down to local health boards how they allocate those roles 
to individuals and whether there is an absolute requirement that you have to be a clinician or whether you could be a suitably trained individual that can do that. Um, I, sorry to be vague in, the, in, in that answer, perhaps, but I think the key thing is around um, those two roles that have been developed by the team from Greater Glasgow and Clyde. So they've done a lot of iterative development in taking this forward, working with users and having had a go at using the tool myself recently for some of our staff here in the practice. Um, it seems actually relatively simple to use. Yes, it's got quite a few clicks, but it, it flows logically through and it's quite easy to to use in that setting. And that has the advantage that, you know, I could actually do it on an iPad or, a, or probably even on my iPhone. It's a bit of a small screen, you know, and I could do that anywhere. There's a bit of 4G signal rather than having to rely on there being NHS Wi-Fi or, or anything like that. I suppose one issue for people in practices, even like my own, is we've had some practice staff vaccinated last week, for example, and they haven't been, as far as I know, entered on, on Turas because we didn't have access. So there's a difficulty in entering data retrospectively, isn't there? I think that the, from what I understand of the tool, yes, unfortunately, they've, they've designed it as a tool to be used at the time of vaccination. And whilst they have created paper data entry forms, they are presuming that this data entry will be done, you know, by somebody at a time relatively close to the actual vaccination event. Um, so there, I think may well be issues with people entering data that is effectively retrospective data. And I think if that's the case, practices should probably keep a, a note of the fact that these were entered on such and such a date, but the vaccination happened on a, on a previous date. And I think the key thing is that we need to ensure that practices have that because it may be possible for us to undertake work in the future to correct that. Yeah, I guess one way of getting around it might be for any practice staff who have been immunised without the data being entered on the day would be to pass the information on a form back to their own GP practice so that it could be entered by them via their practice system with the correct date. Possibly, yes. Certainly, obviously, on the GP system, you can, you can put it on for a historical date, and that's one way around it. It's a very fast-moving space, and, you know, there are definitely challenges in this space and i think you know one of the key things is making sure that we feed back to people um the one thing i would look at is that at the beginning of october we didn't have a vaccine management tool we've now got one you know if you compare that to the rate of change that we've seen with um gpit developments both ongoing development of existing systems and and the development of new systems then you know i think that the, the pace of change we've seen there is very good yeah, no, it's extraordinary. And uh, back in October, we didn't just have a vaccine management tool. We didn't even have a vaccine. So we should be very grateful, I guess. Listen, Ian, we're all hoping that the vaccination programme will, will start to reduce infection and, and death rates. Um, I just want to thank you for all your hard work uh, with all of this. I always feel that it's important that we try and do as much as we can in wherever our skill set lies to support this, whether that's clinicians and vaccinators on the ground or whether that's working in the background trying to join up the dots to make sure that the information flows and we can provide updates on how we're getting on. I'll let you get back to your to your real job as a as a parent now because uh, I can hear lots yeah. of noises in the background. Listen I hope you get a break from it all at some point and uh, I, I promise to stop pestering you for a little while at least. 
That's okay. It's always enjoyable to speak to you, Andrew. Do take care. So, big thanks again to both Ian and Janet for taking time out to give us that excellent update. I can tell you they both have a really hectic schedule at the moment. Contact your health board facilitators or ourselves at Snug if you have any further queries about all of that. We'll just have to see how it all goes over the next few months. Thanks also for some great feedback in our December podcast with Dr Chris Weatherburn. And I have now nearly finished The Digital Doctor by Robert Wachter, which is one of the recommendations. I must say, it's, it's been a fascinating read about the computerization of medical records, including attempts so far to use AI for diagnosis, and a lot of the issues raised do seem very familiar. So it's well worth a read if you're interested in health IT, which, if you're still listening at this point, I presume you are. Oh, and I did learn about the existence of smart underwear for the first time. Could be a game changer going forward. Anyway, that's it for this time. Any comments, ratings, reviews, or other feedback is very welcome as usual. In the meantime. And I would urge you all to look at the Snug website and the Snug podcasts. Listen to those. I think that they are great. Bye for now. <laughs>